Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Uh, good evening and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. While we wait for our co-host, New England's own Van Helsing, you're going to put have to put up with just me, the gold standard in ghost hunting, Steve Parsons, who is reporting live from the island of Anglesey. Which really? For... Oh, hello, you're there, are you, finally? So New England's own Van Helsing has finally joined the fun. Hello. Well, it took me a while to get to the freaking island, you know what I mean? Oh, well, there you go, you see. Well, yeah, I, you're joining me live on the island of Anglesey. Uh, yes, yes, I'm on the other side of the island. You can't see me, I'm waving. Yeah, thank God. Um, where I'm dodging rain showers uh, by sitting in the car at the moment because it's absolutely hammering down. Uh, but I'm outside one of the most notorious haunted houses on the island. Really? I posted I posted the link the other day to um, the haunted house I'm at. So the house is called Craig, Craig E. Moore. Uh, it's Craig as in the, the man's name, then the letter Y, then M-O-R, which means it, something in Welsh probably. Is it Welsh or Irish? It's Welsh. Okay, so you're you're off the coast of of uh, well, are you in between Ireland and Wales proper? Uh, no, I'm just um, yards off the Irish co- off the Welsh coast. Um, okay, fair enough, fair enough. If you look at if you look at the UK, you'll see um, um, a map. Of, you'll see like an island, um, mm-hmm. sort of a large island just off its north coast. Yes. That's the island of Anglesey. Awesome. And I'm at the northern edge of that, so I'm basically about 30 miles from Ireland, and almost directly opposite the city of Dublin. All right. Did you fly there? No, no, no. It's a three-hour drive from where I am in West Wales. Oh, so you could drive to the island? Yeah, there's a bridge. It's only oh. um, it's separated from the Welsh mainland by a half-mile wide... Uh, Straits, the Menai Straits, which awesome. has um, two bridges. The very famous one built by uh, Isambard, um, built by Stevenson when he put the uh, the railway line in in the mid nineteenth uh, century through to Holyhead, because mm-hmm. the port of Holyhead, where I'm actually like, probably nearest where I am, um, is that one of the UK's main uh, ferry links to Ireland. Oh, um, so it's a huge sort of seaport, like where I am in West Wales, which is the other one. We have two main seaports that link the UK or Europe to Ireland. Uh, one is Pembroke, where I obviously live, and this is the other one. Um, and then there's a third one which links Northern Ireland to Scotland, uh, but that's quite quite some some great distance away. Wow, that's pretty cool. 
So yeah, we've 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 reported from live from here before. Um, this is where Beaumaris uh, Castle is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, other haunted locations. But I was looking for something different, and I remembered uh, near where we stay, in the um, on the coast, a place called Triada Bay. There's um, a building that everybody knows as the haunted house. If you Google oh. haunted house Anglesey you will see page after page after page and hundreds of photographs of this particular building, Craigie Moor. So uh, what's the history behind it, Steve? Well, the building was, it, it stands on a, on a sort of rocky promontory um, overlooking Triada Bay. It looks quite a desolate, you know, it, and it looks the archetypal haunted building. If you have a look at the, the picture I took the other night of it um, and posted onto the Ghost Chronicles International page. That's it just the group, group page, not the regular <laughs> page. Uh, that's the group page. Yeah, okay. Um, you will, you'll see the building, and there's also a video that somebody else took inside the bill um, a year or so ago because it is privately owned. But everybody knows of it um, as the haunted house, and it just looks like the archetypal. It's an austere, uh, grey, gloomy-looking building made out of the local Welsh granite, um, on, alone on this promontory. It was built. It's, they started to build it in 1911, and then work stopped on it during the First World War and recommenced in 1918. And the building was finally completed in 1919. Uh, the site itself uh, doesn't have any particular history to it. It's just, just a rocky promontory that juts out at the edge of uh, Triada Bay into the wild Irish Sea. And I mean, it can get pretty wild. Mm -hmm. um, but what's fascinating about it, and the reason I chose it as the first topic for tonight's conversation is... Um, I say, if you Google, anybody Googles Haunted House Anglesey, A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y, uh, you will get to this, this, this page, this, this building. Uh, now, interestingly, there are no ghost stories attached to it, not a single one. I really? Say, the, build, the building was built in, uh, completed in 1918, and it's remained with the same family uh, ever since. They still live there to this day. It's, it's appeared in several television programs, um, but despite the reputation, there's not a single ghost um, story attached to it, attached to the place, to the building. Um, I went up to talk to a member of the family um, quite recently and asked them about it. And it, it actually, there are pictures online of the inside of the property, and it's really very nice. It's it, I mean, it looks grey and gloomy and austere and desolate from the outside, but inside it's really quite light and airy and you've got panoramic sea views on three sides. Um, but it fascinated me because when, when the boys first saw it, um, without knowing anything about the story um, or anything about it or being said anything about it, they've always referred to it as well as the haunted house. <laughs> uh, and so many hundreds and it, it got me thinking about how places get reputations and how mm -hmm. people end up looking and studying uh, locations or being drawn to locations purely on what they look like purely on the visuals and purely on the um, now I would wager that 
when people are selecting in, uh, locations to investigate, locations to visit, or even you know even while they're traveling around and visiting locations, um, they go more on appearance, and quite often you know it can be very very misleading. Right. So it, it, it just intrigued me that, that this house has got such a reputation and yet not a single ghost. Not one. Zero, zip, zilch. It's a nice, friendly, happy family home that the family have lived in. There's been no deaths, no suicides, no murders. <laughs> no, not no yet, trauma. anyways. Well, not yet, anyways. No trauma of any sort. And yet it's got this terrible terrible reputation it's known far and wide by by holiday makers by locals by everybody if you go onto the island and ask um, about the haunted house they will always point you at this particular building craggy moor um, i found that absolutely fascinating but where i am on the island does have many many buildings that um some of them don't look quite as fascinating but they nonetheless do have ghosts. And there is, in the same bay as Craggymore, Triada Bay, there is another headland, obviously, on the other side of the bay, another rocky promontory headland that does have a ghost story attached to it. Um, and because we live on the wild uh, wild west, um, west coast of Britain, um, jutting into the Irish Sea, and as we saw only on uh, Saturday with uh, Storm Hannah, uh, we had a, a false 12, uh, a full-blown Atlantic storm hitting the coastline on, on Saturday daytime. Um, it can get very, very wild, and it's a very rugged coastline. And there is a story of um, a white lady, a white lady who stands alone on the cliffs um, looking out to sea and is seen often before a big storm arriving. And the story, there are several stories, but the most often told story is that she was the wife of a mariner. Mm -hmm. um, and that he was, he'd sailed away uh, from Amlach, which is the port um, on the, on the a little further around on the coast. And he, he, um, he was lost in a storm. And uh, he never returned, and she forever stands on the headland whenever a storm brews to warn sailors and to warn mariners, whilst looking out for her long lost husband who never came back. So that was quite fascinating. Um, the the island is is a very historic place. I think I've mentioned this on, uh, on previous visits. Um, it is probably one of the most um, densely packed areas of the United Kingdom for Bronze Age and uh, Iron Age surviving structures. Um, the, I mean, there's almost... Um, the local pharmacy, you can... In every single field, there is some burial mound, some chamber, some cairn, some archaeology that relates to the Bronze Age or the Iron Age... Um, it's, it's got a huge history and there was Bronze Age copper mining uh, no, sorry, there was copper mining that predates the Roman era and they found Roman remains for that and interestingly up, up on the, uh, it has the world's largest copper mine uh, called Paris Mountain and Paris Mountain is a 
it's like a moonscape, and it was used in the filming of a number of Doctor Who episodes because of this surreal uh, industrial landscape. There are so many with, with the copper-stained rock um, and all the other minerals. There's zinc and there's manganese and gold and silver laced throughout the rock because it was formed, Paris Mountain, this gigantic... Well, it's not gigantic anymore because they've mined most of it away, but it started life as a very big mountain um, back in the back in the 16th century. Um, but prior to that, it was actually formed underneath the deep ocean as a black smoker, an undersea volcano. Oh, uh, okay. You know these famous black smokers that you see? Right, yeah. And they'd just been, uh, about 10, 12 years ago, they... they did some test mining to see how, uh, if the mineral, the metal deposits were still viable. And actually they discovered they were, but then the, the financial situation changed yet again because Alaska opened up a gigantic mine uh, with uh, not much planning regulations. <laughs> um, so they, they, the mining company still exists, the mine still exists, but at the moment it's, it's kind of mothballed. Um, but they, they actually put some test bores through uh, the center of the original black smokers. And you can walk up there. We were up there last evening. And you can still pick up from the mine tailings dumps. Uh, the, these, they look for all the world like um, cinder toffee. But these oh, are really. Yeah. Solid rocks. They're actually the colour of cinder toffee as well, predominantly. They're a sort of rich golden brown mixed through with blues and greens and this sparkly metal uh, gold shiny bits throughout them. Um, and that was the original um, core of the Black Smoker. This bubbly lava that formed thousands and thousands of feet deep in the ocean and brought this rich mineral-laced liquid, which then solidified, um, and gave rise to this huge uh, mining operation that's been... It was first started to mine, I say, by... the by, uh, Well, there were Roman copper ingots that were found um, from a shipwreck uh, just off the coast here. So clearly the Romans were excavating for copper. Um but the mine itself went into full production in the 1700s, and actually, it was it was used predominantly for first of all for cladding the hulls of the Royal Navy warships, which gave them a speed advantage over the barnacle hulls of the French warships, um, because all that's why our ships were called copper uh, copper bottoms or copper clads. Oh, okay, and. Um, it gave gave rise to the. I'm sure you've heard the saying that that's a copper bottom or a copper clad guarantee. Mm -hmm. That that dates from that say from that period that the Royal Navy could always be relied upon um, because their ships because they were copper clad at the bottom. Uh, they discovered that copper was toxic to marine algae and barnacles, and so you didn't get this marine growth that you had on the wooden hulls of the Spanish and the French naval ships. Uh, so that's that was what Paris Mountains copper was primarily used for. They took the copper from here by ship right around the coast to the to South Wales, not very far from where I where I, where I actually live, 
uh, and it built the town or the city of Swansea, which gained the name of Copperopolis. Copperopolis. <laughs> Copperopolis. Yeah, that's nice. Because copper was mined, uh, was smelted and produced down there. But Paris Mountain, also they also produced copper ingots up here, most of which went into um, the British coinage. Um, and they, they actually minted their own coins up here on the island, uh, which each of them featured a druid's head, because Anglesey was, uh, or is, famous for the druids. Um, it was the most holy of holy druid sites, which Tacitus writes about in the Roman era when the Romans uh, invaded Britain in 55 AD. Um, they, they had to quell the, the, the Britons, and they did that by what they did is they basically marched right the length of, of Britain, uh, rolled up on the North Wales coast, facing Anglesey, which was where the priestly class, the Druids sort of headquarters were, uh, and then crossed, waited for low tide to cross, and they swam and crossed the entire Roman army uh, across the Menai Straits and sacked, beat, burned, uh, and destroyed the Roman, uh, the ancient Britons and the Druids. And all around Anglesey, uh, archaeologists have found these because the Druids worshipped uh, pools of water, sacred pools of water. Mm-hmm. And in order to make votive offerings to their gods, they would take um, objects that were precious to them, so swords, spears, shields, uh, made of copper, made of bronze, and they would ritually break them, which would remove them from this world into the next world. And they found large deposits of these in... Um, in some of these sacred pools, one of which uh, leads us to another ghost story, because um, well, I, 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 let me interrupt for one shot second there, Steve. As far as uh, is Hollyhead, okay, Trudeau Bay near Hollyhead, Anglesey, yes, Gwynedd, Nails, Wales, Gwyneth, Wales, okay. So, are you going to tell me about a woman that was, that was there? I already mentioned that, the lady that stands on the headland at Triada Bay. Okay, you did mention that. All right, yeah. And that's, that's um, so they actually know who this woman was? And there are different stories. Um, there's, there's four or five different versions of the story. And it's not an uncommon story. We have very, very similar ones from Ireland, Scotland, South Wales, West Wales, where I am, um, the, of these uh, mariners' wives who stand forlornly on hillsides or peering out from windows mm-hmm. waiting for their... Um, yeah, we have those two here in the States yeah. as well. I, I, it's almost, it's almost uh, a maritime analogy, uh, an, uh, analogy of the... Um, the Phantom Hitchhiker. Right. You know, it's was... almost like it's the same story. You know, mariners are very superstitious folk and living on the wet, you know, on these wild, rugged coastlines. It's not difficult on a stormy night or a stormy day to imagine the, you know, the wailing of the wind as the bemoaning of, of a lost woman, you know, of a, a woman uh, sort of calling to her husband. I, I don't, I don't think they're uncommon. 
Um, and I don't right. think many of them are actually got much behind them because you can never really pin it down to a particular event or a particular right. person. Well, the, the one I'm reading now says it goes back 50 years and it's a woman who drowned in the bay. Again, it's just a different version of the same story. Um, the revert, there, are, there are other versions. Some say that uh, that she drowned. Some say that her husband drowned. There's even a version from, um, it's probably the same story, but it links to a bay further down called Cable Bay um, of a woman whose child drowned at sea. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, whilst they were, um, the, the child had been swept off a rock by, mm-hmm. a, by, a, by a big wave. So it, it's, I think it, it's a case of the stories develop um, and different tellings, different versions uh, of the story uh, develop over time. Um, and we see that a lot in, in West Wales as well with very similar versions of stories located in four or five different places. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the same story, just, just it gets transplanted around to you know, different bays and coves um, on the West Wales coast as well. So I do, you know, it, 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 it's more often an urban myth or a coastal legend. How do you, I mean, it's, it's so difficult to separate, but, you know, they say that all legends are based on some facts. So, I mean, how do we, is it just, is there anything there at all? Or is it just somebody who was sitting by the fire on a cold night and made, <laughs> a, made up a story? You know, that's, that's the intriguing part of it. Where, where do they originate from? Well, is it... Know, the, yeah, I mean, we the the Celtic nations, Wales, Ireland, Scotland. Uh, you know, they are a great nation of storytellers. The right. Welsh have the bardic stories. You know, there is a long history of storytelling, but there is that um, that saying: "There's you know, be, behind every legend, there's a grain of truth, or there's no smoke without fire." And it's inevitable that people, that mariners, will have gone to sea and will have not come back again. Um, oh, so there, true. Are, there are so there, there are hundreds of shipwrecks around the coast of Anglesey. There are hundreds of shipwrecks off the coast of West Wales, and clearly, you know, there are lots of historically recorded um, shipwrecks where the shipwreck took place in front of dozens of witnesses. They stood on the cliffs, completely unable to assist the sailors while they drowned in front of their eyes. Only fifty. 100 yards off the shore as the ship was dashed onto the rocks. So let me ask you this. I mean, you live in that region. You live in a, a seafaring region. And, That's right. Uh, and, you, and you, you, know, you know a lot of people as well that, that live in similar regions. Are there any reports of ghosts or spirits coming out of the ocean? Oh, um not ghosts, but yes, in West Wales we have several of mermaids. Um, or... Okay, but yeah, I'm just just wondering. I mean, we 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 talked about it. You talked about it earlier about how many people have gone to sea and just disappeared and thing. But and we hear stories of ghosts around those regions. But do we ever hear? I mean, I I think of the you know Stephen King movie like the fog or anything <laughs> where they come wandering out. But uh, it's really I'm just curious if there ever been reports of that because there are so many you know ships just people killed by moon cusses and and all that stuff and so many people so much death in the sea but do we hear the, any stories of well, ghosts coming actually, from the sea actually i can think of one um, oh good a, good good 
Uh, and this relates to West Wales. Now, several years ago, when I first moved there, um, I spent several years as a member of a group, an organisation called the Coast Watch. Yes, I remember uh, you telling me. Yeah. A form of auxiliary coast guard, if you will. And uh, what, their jo- what, what the job was, was uh, around the coast of Britain, there are these watchtowers manned by volunteers. And they, they basically provide a fill-in a fill service in remote places for the Coast Guard, keeping an eye on people, fishermen and kayakers and cliff walkers and all manner of people who are, use the coast as a, for recreation or for, um, for commercial reasons. Because it's not always possible to maintain... If you imagine that you're in a small fishing boat and you're dashed under or you're, or you're beneath, say, three or 400-foot cliffs, your radio signal may not get through. And in the 19th and early 20th century, up until the advent of VHF radio, then these, these stations were, were manned uh, more or less round the clock by coast guards. And then when radio and uh, modern digital communications came in, these were largely left and abandoned. But nonetheless, people still went out in kayaks and still went out in inflatables and small fishing boats and still got themselves into trouble. And they discovered that that there was a gap that the radio call wouldn't often get through or uh, they relied on members of the public, you know, uh, out walking the dog with a mobile phone to raise the alarm. So they started the Coast Watch. Now, one of the places, or the place I was based at, was called, uh, well, it was, it was on um, Marlowe's um, in Pembrokeshire. Now, that faces out towards Scomer Island. Um, okay. And there's a very, there's a narrow race of water between Scomer Island and the mainland at Marlowe's. And one of the Coast Watch uh, points was, was on this headland. So about 300 feet above the sea, uh, above this narrow race, and then uh, and then these islands, um, and the, the tidal race is there was so fierce it would form and does form whirlpools. Now oh, wow. in nineteen in in nineteen just after the First World War, there was a steamer uh, travelling from South Wales to Liverpool, and the steamer captain decided that he would uh, cut the corner um, and go through the sound go through the straits rather than go around the islands the long way round and inevitably he didn't make it he he crashed the boat and the boat was sunk and it it's now a huge spot for recreation divers um and on a sunny day you know you see lots of dive boats there uh, but there's a ghost story and it comes from a coast watch or a coast guard um, volunteer. Um, uh, uh, it wasn't a volunteer. They were paid coast guards, but they were mm-hmm. they were retained. So they were only paid for. They were so only used we're going to ask you to hold that thought, and okay. we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back. We'll we'll redo the story, refinish it, and uh, talk about. Uh, we'll go other- yeah, there you go. So you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parson live from Anglesey and Ron Kolick, unfortunately, sitting in his crappy old office. And we'll be right, <laughs> right here on Tojanet and Pararex. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tojanet. 
Radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Parrax family. Two of Ghost Chronicles International from a rain-lashed uh, island of Anglesey off the north coast of Wales, where twilight is just setting in. The sun has dipped below the horizon. Um, there's a few odd pink rays lighting up the grey clouds, and the rain is drizzling slowly down. Um, the ghosts may be coming out to play quite soon. I wouldn't know because I'm sitting in the car keeping dry. Well, cars can be haunted. <laughs> Not this one. This isn't Christine. <laughs> okay, so anyways, just before the break, you begin a story. And so why don't we take it from the top just uh, so that... Okay, um, back to... Uh, this. The story relates to my time when I was in the Coast Watch, the Auxiliary Coast Guard uh, volunteer service. But during, during just after the Second World War, um, the Coast Guard maintained a retained Coast Guard. So these were paid... Coast Guards who were part-time, so they would be called out to man these lookout stations during during bad bad weather or um, expected bad weather. Anyway, this this boat I was talking about, this um, tramp steamer uh, going between South Wales and the port of Liverpool. Uh, the captain decided he would cut the corner and go through the through the narrow straits rather than round the island of Scomer and Skokum. Um, and ran aground, and the boat was sunk, and most of the crew were lost. Well, uh, the Coast Guard on duty um, several weeks later, and in subsequent years, reported the sound of, first of all, shouts, shouts for assistance, um, help me, help me, um, when they were doing the night shifts, uh, or the evening shifts, uh, when it was twilight, as it is now. Um, and reported figures walking towards him um, from the clifftops coming towards him, um, which he thought were fishermen or shipwrecked mariners uh, who climbed the cliffs. Um, And when he went out with the lantern, there was nobody there. And the story that's been attached to that is that these were were men drowned on this, this particular wreck the name of which is completely eludes me tonight. Um, That's okay. 
But there is that's the only story I can think of that relates to ghosts actually coming, coming out, out of the water. Yeah. But there are just... I mean, there are countless tales of uh, mermaids and right. sitting on rocks or beckoning people or coming out of the water. Sirens. Trying yep. to coax people into the water. Right. Now, are you staying at a B&B there on the island? No, it's uh, a holiday cottage. Oh, very so good. It's no, entirely no, self-contained. No wandering spirits going through the cottage at all? Sadly not. It's a modern mm-hmm. thing built in the 1960s. There's a whole oh, row of them. There's a little holiday sort of village there with a... Um, you know, it's there's, there's a small swimming pool on site, a crazy golf course. You know, it's just a holiday place. Um, it was built as a holiday development on, you know, virgin ground, uh, just in oh. from. So um, sad. So sad. <laughs> you know, we're not short of. You know, we're certainly not short of ghosts on the island. We've we're about twenty miles from Beaumaris, um, which was one of the early, well, the earliest. Um, city on the island very historic city it was it was in use from the norman con the period of the norman conquest and before there's an ancient monastic site there oh, um, wow. and Beaumaris castle and famously Beaumaris jail are both haunted and Beaumaris jail also featured on um an episode of most haunted as did uh these would go back to series nine for these um mm-hmm. As did South Stack Lighthouse, um, which is a rugged light. Uh, uh, South Stack is <laughs> on the north coast of Anglesey. You couldn't make this stuff up. The northernmost lighthouse on the island of Anglesey is called South Stack because it's slightly south of North Stack. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense to me. Now, this lighthouse is, is, is uh, the base of uh, about a 500-foot cliff which is reached by 365 steps down to the lighthouse and then across a bridge to a small island which, uh, which the lighthouse is on. And you can visit it. It's open to the public. Uh, British lighthouses are all now automated and many of them are open to the public. Um, they're all operated by Trinity House who maintain the light itself and the structure. Um, and they raise revenue by allowing people to visit. And um, many of them are also parts of uh, bird watching or wildlife watching centres attached to them now That's as well. Fabulous. But South Stack has a ghost. Um, it's not a particularly extraordinary ghost. Um, and in fact, the story is is quite thin. Uh, it's. <laughs> it, well, you know, we, we've got the very famous one, the Smalls Lighthouse Ghost in West Wales off the coast where the, the lighthouse keepers, the two lighthouse keepers were trapped on the, in the light by a, by a, uh, by a huge storm. Mm-hmm. And one of them sadly passed away. And the other one decided he had a bit of a reputation for being um, a fighting man and an angry man, and he was quite concerned and that he would get the blame for killing his colleague. So he wrapped oh. the body in canvas and he hung the body outside of um, the, the, the lighthouse structure. Um, oh. Off the, off the top balcony, obviously so that the birds wouldn't get at it and obviously so that the, the sea wouldn't deteriorate the body too much. So that when people came, um, then obviously they could see that there were no marks on the body and he hadn't killed the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he was there for a very long time because these storms rolled in one after the other. 
um, and he was there for for weeks. Oh, this is not going to end well. <laughs> it didn't end well. Uh, meanwhile, the body, and it actually caused a, 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 it's a true story, and it caused a change in the way lighthouses around the world are manned to this day. Well, they're not now, they're mostly automated. Right. Um, <clears throat> but this body hanging outside, being lashed by the wind and the rain, of course, rotted, began to rot, mm-hmm. and the canvas broke free. And the lighthouse keeper um, was <laughs> driven mad by the the decaying corpse, which was being ba- uh, blown by the wind, and an arm had come out of from the oh, no. sheet <laughs> and was banging against the, uh, the the glass window in the wind. Um, and when they eventually got out to him after several weeks, the guy had been driven completely mad. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very, very true and very famous story. Uh, and since then, uh, after that incident, they always manned lighthouses with three, three keepers, mm-hmm. uh, never two keepers. They always put three keepers into lighthouses after the small story. But to return back to Anglesey and Southstack, uh, when Most Haunted went along there, it was one of these places if you look at south stack you would think it's this abandoned it's this deserted lonely lighthouse at the base of the cliffs reached by the 365 uh, stone steps that go down to it mm-hmm. um and it's in a lonely desolate spot uh you know he- completely rugged isolated uh reached only on foot and in reality the wind not it's a bit like craggy Moore uh, when we at the start of the show the stories were next to, there was none, uh, nothing substantial, but that still didn't stop most haunted going along there because it looked like an archetypal haunted lighthouse. <laughs> and of course, it was much easier to reach than the Smalls lighthouse um, or other genuinely haunted lighthouses. And so they decided to do an entire episode, which in true most haunted spirit, mostly involved things being thrown at them. Um, and strange noises throughout the night. But in reality, it was another of these buildings like Craig and Moore um, where appearances were everything. And right. I guess that kind of goes with a lot of the television shows, doesn't it? You know, appearances, oh, it count, does, for, right. appearances count for 90% of, of um, the, the decision to, to use a location. Right. Which is why we don't see them in, say, the Sears Tower or... Um, <laughs> yeah. Although interestingly, you know, World uh, Ground Zero, World Trade Center now, um, Freedom Tower now has many, many stories associated with when the wind blows through the um, through Manhattan Island. Um, yeah. It sort of makes these wailing, which people have interpreted as the victims of nine eleven. Oh wow! Um, but it is it is appearances. It's very, very much appearances, but. Uh, unfortunately, South Stack didn't live up to. It didn't have anything to live up to. There was no reputation for it to to live up to, um, other than uh, the archetypal appearance of a, you know mm. what what people perceive as. Uh, it, I mean, I've been up to you know I, I've been with you to Portsmouth Harbour Lighthouse, and you look out at Whaleback Light, just a few you know uh, half a mile or is it half a mile or a mile off. Um, I can't tell you the exact distance. It's a, it's a, it's round about that distance, and yeah. I I've stood there at twilight at Portsmouth Harbour, uh, the Coast Guard station, looking at Whaleback, 
and you can imagine all manner of stories about it, can't you? You know, you, you've got the oh, absolutely. keeper's cottage, you've got the lighthouse on the rock. It looks lonely and desolate, even though it's in the middle of a very busy Portsmouth Harbour entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks, you can imagine all manner of romantic ghost stories. I mean, it's pure Edgar Allan Poe, isn't it? <laughs> yes. When you look, when you look at these sites, and yet when you when you scratch beneath the surface, often there isn't very much there. Um, and there are so well, many. Well, well, unfortunately, Whaleback does have ghost stories <laughs> associated yeah. with it. But the point I was making is mm-hmm. appearances. You know, I I didn't know. I don't know of any stories attached to Whaleback, and I know that we. I don't think we've ever talked about ghosts. No, we haven't. Whaleback. No, we haven't. But I do remember standing at Portsmouth Harbour Lighthouse looking at Whaleback thinking, you know, how spookily haunting, eerie and desolate it looked. Mm -hmm. And it would be a fabulous place to set a ghost story. Oh, absolutely. You know, our our good friend, the teller of Curious Tales, Dylan Jones, who who avidly reads gazetteers of ghost stories and uh, from all around uh, Great Britain and and now America... um, you see these stories, and so many stories are just that, because if you try and get behind them, to f- you go to the archives and say, well, did that event happen, and did this really take place, and what was the name of the person, and is there a record of the death or the Yeah, the this is the difficult part, yeah. I mean, we keep good records in this country, and we have done for, you know, several hundred years. Right. And... You can't find the story. Down in West Wales, we've, we've got um, you know, a number the, of... Isn't that a little bit due to the story being retelled over and over again? You know how details change, how names get butchered sometimes, especially if I'm telling them. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so it makes it difficult to prove that this particular person or something just from a, a story or a legend. Well, yeah, you, you, I mean... Partly, but the location itself, if you, if you, I mean, you know, we're, we're quite good at searching the archives um, to find mm. information. And you wouldn't search for just necessarily the name. You would start searching, um, supposed to have taken place, say, in 1890. Right. Um, I would search that location plus or minus 10 years as a starting point and then widen out. And you would mm. put in shipwrecks. 1880 to 1900 and mm. look at all of the shipwrecks and see if you can, you know, look down the manifests, um, look at where the families lived. So you wouldn't, it would be possible. Uh, and it is possible in many cases to validate and verify the original story, um, that started the rumor. And that's been, that's been the case in a number of hauntings, where you can trace it back to the original story, and often, what I what you often find, um, and this this isn't you know it, it's very very common. Take for example Pembroke Castle in West Wales. Um, you you go back, which is and Pembroke Castle has got a reputation, and we've had Howard Frott, who's been the guide um, and the ghost the ghost uh, finder general for Pembroke Castle as uh-huh. guest on Ghost Chronicles, and he says that he's collected over three hundred accounts. Um, of paranormal ghostly encounters at Pembroke Castle. Now, if you go back 40 or 50 years, there are none. Zero. And yet that building has been continuously in use and continually uh, habited ever since. 
you know, mm-hmm. since since it was built a thousand years ago, before that. Um, and yet, people did not. I mean, people did document ghost stories then. Ghost stories were very, very newsworthy. The the, the newspapers loved a good ghost story. It sold copy. Mm-hmm. And but we don't have any. The first yeah. accounts start in the ni- late 1950s and the, and the early 1960s with people writing, people writing ghost story books for visitors and uh, day trippers and holiday makers. And it grows out of that. And then in the 20th century, of course, uh, particularly since the millennium, the 21st century, we've had an explosion in amateur ghost hunters who go to these places. And you know, when I went to Pembroke Castle, I knew of two reasonably reliable ghost accounts from the staff who worked at the castle and these were the castle didn't like to broadcast it the castle didn't like to talk about it um, but there were two solid stories that that uh, that seemed to be reliable um then the local ghost hunters started arriving around the time of most haunted so the early 2000s and then there were 12 and then there were 15. And then there was a demon. And then there was a murderer and children who were entrapped there. And, <laughs> and now the castle is infested with bloody ghosts. Well, you <laughs> and know. demons and wailing children and strange enti- um, what are discarnate entities and elementals that mm. live, you know, sort of... It's it's really quite interesting to to watch the social progress of the ghost story, and I found that particularly fascinating with Craig and Moore. Right. So I'm going to a- ask you: Are there ghost tours on the island? Uh, yes, there are. Um, there's a couple. Uh, Bo Maris, most notably, because it's got the castle and the jail, mm-hmm. and um, ghost walks are a very uh, popular British pastime. And I know they are in a number of uh, New England towns. Yeah. And, have, um, have you gone on them there? Have you gone on? I've been to some in West Wales. Uh, but not, not on the island, though, huh? Not on the island because at the mo- we, we tend to go out of season because it's cheaper. Ah, okay. <laughs> so um, they, they tend to run during the main holiday season. And uh, we're just after the Easter holidays, the, the, school, the, uh, the schools no, are back, the holiday makers have left now. And uh, in the summer months, it gets a bit crowded and the prices go up, so we tend to uh, right, right. go. Yeah, we used so to no, do that. I, I, Jane I and I used to get on the Cape the same way. We'd go off season. Yeah. It was quieter. Yeah, and it's a nicer experience as well. So oh, no, well, I haven't been nice. able to. But but in West Wales, yes, of course, because we live there, I have participated in the ghost walks, and um, they tell many of the stories from the books. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, in fact the lady down in West Wales. Um, she objects to anybody recording or videoing her ghost walk. Oh, um, she's very protective of her stories. Mm-hmm. But when we went on it, uh, and Richard Felix has actually uh, included uh, the, the Ghost Walks of Tembe in his Ghosts of uh, Britain DVD series. Um, now, I recognised the sor- the story and the source of every one of the ladies' accounts, uh, <laughs> which which she copyrighted. They were actually written down in some of the better ones were written down in the early 20th century by a Welsh researcher, a preacher called Jonathan Keredig Davis, who oh, was goodness. a folklore, who was a folklorist. And he studied and collected um, 
tales of fairies, mermaids, black dogs, ghosts, um, encounters with the devil, and recorded them all uh, in a book, um, which this lady is obviously used as uh, this lady and others have obviously used as a source of their own stories and tales. But this lady uses as the source of her ghost walks around Tembe. Uh, but then tries to copyright anybody from stealing the idea that she herself borrowed from somebody else. Yeah, that that kills me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, we we do uh, the ghost tours at the the lighthouse, and and uh-huh. one thing we're always particularly uh, careful in what we do is that when we talk about the ghosts there and, and so forth. And we, we recount people's experiences, but they're based on those experiences. In other words, mm-hmm. there's nothing that we've pulled out of a, a book or pulled out of a magazine. This is reports that came to us. So we, we don't want to send misinformation out there, which uh, you know a lot of people can do because you can go on the internet and believe it or not, some of the stuff in the internet is not right, Steve. Did you know that's really? not true? Yeah, some of it's actually not truthful. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, that's, yeah. That's, 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 that's depressing news. It's Hell my yeah. greatest source of um, research. <laughs> yeah, I know it. But uh, that's, that's a good to us. <laughs> I know it. Actually, we do so much in so many ways. and uh, You're absolutely right. But, right. I, I mean, people go into Wikipedia and they think that they, you know, they quote that verbatim as, as absolutely <laughs> truth. And, and there were so many flaws in that. I mean, it's a good way to, to look at I mean, a, a general to be, to thing. To be fair, to be fair, yeah. it's a good way. It's a good place to start. Right. Exactly. Generally, general yeah. information. But yeah. And, you know, we've we've used it on many, many on many, many shows when, you know, we need some quick piece of information. Um, Which I always make fun of when you quote Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> but for for basic uh, initial looking for for information, absolutely go to the internet. But you know, uh, and I know, um, like uh, with, in your case, we both have uh, a large number of books on the shelves and a large number of resources. And I would always urge ev- everybody, and I did when I, when I, when I uh, wrote Ghostology in the, uh, mm-hmm. the guidance notes, is search in every available information source and compare all the different strands of information. And if we go back to Craig and Moore, if you go onto the internet, mm-hmm. you will be told only that the house is haunted because, it, uh, because of this reputation that it gained. Uh, but if you if you dig a little deeper and come off the internet and you know look at the other information sources because the information that it's not haunted is relatively easy to find. Mm-hmm. It's just that unfortunately the information that that uh, that's not what they want to hear though. No, I mean <laughs> nobody promotes it as being haunted apart from its reputation and. Right. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people refer to it as the haunted house. And so the, the story uh, is taken on a life of its own. What was filmed there? I heard something was filmed there. Uh, yeah, uh, it was a TV series. Um, it was used. I can't remember the name of the TV series. That's now, okay. but, um, it was it was a, a, 
stop, have a fairly decent lineup of stars that people would hear about. Basically, mm. it was used as a, it, it featured as a police safe house. Um, oh, okay. Set on the island of Anglesey, and then there was, you know, the whole series, um, or the whole program was based around the, the building and the events that took place there. Oh. Um, but the story of it, it being the haunted house, I mean, they, they, it was known and referred to that back in the 1960s when I first started visiting here as a boy. Um, and it, it, it's purely from its appearance. Our, both our boys, Ethan and Oscar, when they first saw it a couple of years ago, both referred to it as the haunted house. Mm-hmm. Because it, it just... Because it's your prototypical haunted house. It absolutely... If you wanted to draw um, a picture of a haunted house, this is on a, on a headland, this is what you would draw. Um, this is exactly how you would imagine it and how you would, it's, it's dark gray. Um, there is no color on the building at all. It's entirely monochrome. Uh, this very dark gray granite that was only mined two or three miles from this, from the, the, the building site. Um, and it has these, uh, because it's got this sort of stone veranda that's on one side of it, looking out to sea, uh, so, to protect it from the weather and from the elements. Right, of course. Um, this, this is, it's not windowed. You know, you, you just have this barren sort of stone veranda. Um, and it just looks like it's got no, or it's got, it looks like it's got no glass, got, got no windows, got no glass. It just looks like an abandoned, derelict property, which it absolutely isn't. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just purely appearance. Right. And there's, you, you said you spoke to someone who lives there well, or is relative. It's owned, and... by, it's owned by the family that, that built it. Um, mm-hmm. and the, so if anyone would know, they would be the ones. They, they live there to this day. I've spoken to the people that live in the property. Um, in fact, it's now slightly divided because attached to it is a lodge, uh, which was for the servants, mm-hmm. uh, which itself is a fully two-story house. Um, that's entirely independent from the main house, but connected to it at a slightly lower level via a series of stone and stone spiral staircases, just for effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's lived in by, by a different family now. Okay. Um, so it has anyways... a driveway and gates and, you know, it's surrounded by, it has its own private beach. Awesome. So, anyways, we are heading now towards the end of the show. And uh, you and I, of course, we, we talked that uh, Lorraine Warren had just recently passed. Um, and, she's been through then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, according to uh, what you told me in your little article, which is posted on my page. I don't think I posted it on, on our page, but I'll put it on our page, too. And that uh, she has uh, come from beyond to speak to us. I, I did say in a comment to you that it would be Steve Huff that she would speak to. That's true, um, but I, I mentioned first that somebody would oh, claim that it would. Oh, you yes. did. Okay. And, um, it was. I, I don't know if uh, I have. Did take long though, did it? No. I, it took longer than Michael Jackson, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Michael Jackson thing, which is in my book, Goes the Day. And it's, it's an interesting one with. The I, I, I'm thinking of the one with the the shadow on the oh, new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that was that was a an, an intriguing 
a bit of video. And, uh, you know, I could see that, you know, that wasn't people looking for ghosts. Uh, that was just something that was captured pretty much like the lady, uh, the brown lady raised them all. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so to me, that I find those int- more intriguing. I mean, yes, it can be explained away, but that's another story. Well, I, th- but, I think it was quite satisfactorily debunked eventually, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I hate that word debunked, but uh, there was an explanation given, an explanation given for it. I like to yeah. say because unless you can prove it a hundred percent, well, we've only got moments left of the show. But you know, people like Joe Nickel will always find an explanation. Oh, I absolutely! <laughs> I think in the case of the, the Michael Jackson video, I think the explanation was plausible. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with that, but that's you know. Uh, like you said, Joe Nickel could find. A good skeptic will always find an explanation. Yeah. Skeptic or. Uh, cynic. Cynic is a better word. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I've, I've got his new book. Well, not his new book. I don't know when it was printed. Uh, CSI Paranormal. And I'm, I'm trying to work my way through. And uh, that's a shame. I mean, I look at it <laughs> in my hand. And it's such a beautiful book compared to it as. This one here is more of like a pamphlet, but whatever. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of effort went into it. Well, I'm sure anyway, Joe Nickel and, and similar, all they have to write is, it's all rubbish. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the tunes are playing, so we've oh, got to well, go. I, I, I do want to mention uh, that the Blair Witch Ghost Hunt for benefit of uh, VZ Memorial Park is May 17th. Go on my website and you get the link to go there, inegoesproject.com. Steve will be coming over in September. Go to the website, Any Ghost Project. If I survive, if I survive this week on Angle, yeah. here, well. So uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us, and uh, enjoy the rest of the uh, balmy weather out there. Thank you, and I'll talk to you live from West Wales next week. Okay, take care. All right, good night, everybody. God bless. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law.